to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your producer and host, Ben Finan, director of content at Steinway & Sons and editor-in-chief of the online music magazine, listenmusicculture.com. My guest today is Steinway artist Jeannie Golan, whose latest release for the Steinway & Sons label is One to Tango, works of contemporary and recovered voices composers. Hi, Jeannie. How are you Hi, doing? Hi, Ben. I'm great. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm real good. <laughs> Jeannie, you have a new album for Steinway and Sons. Absolutely. It has a long title, which I'm going to read because I think this will jumpstart the conversation. It Takes One to Tango, Works of Contemporary and Recovered Voices Composers. Do I have that right? You absolutely do. Tell me about... What's behind that title? What was the spark for this project? Going way, way back uh, to about four or five years ago, a former student of mine enticed me to start learning the tango, I mean, the dance. It became great fun for me to go out dancing or take a lesson once or twice a week. And then I started to think, you know, I know that there's tango music for piano, but there must be other tango music for piano besides the very well-known names. And I happen to have these two uh, areas that I am completely dedicated to. I'm someone who loves giving the underdog a voice, if you will. And so that manifests in, on the one hand, a much older and always passion was playing contemporary music and is playing contemporary music. There's something very special about working with composers who are my peers and my friends, and eventually they start writing for me with an understanding of what I do at the piano. And I can also add the little editing touches for this doesn't work. How about if we write it like this? (laughs) And I wouldn't tell you where those passages are, but I love being a musical editor. So many people ask me about, why don't you compose? And for me, it's all about bringing expression. There's so many beautiful pieces out there already, but sometimes I can make a few of them even better or work better at the instrument. That's always been a deep, deep love of mine. I want to stop you right there because I love what you're saying about working with composers to actually say, okay, this may have worked in your head, but this part doesn't work on the keyboard. Yes. That's not something you can do with a composer who is not alive. You're stuck with what's on the page and then you have to make decisions. So I could see how that would be a rewarding collaboration, especially given that performing and composing are such solitary activities normally. Yes. Yes, exactly. Now, I do have to say that the composers who are also amazing pianists, it's a whole other level of joy to get their pieces because I can feel what their bodies would be doing at the instrument as much as I would feel, you know, what Beethoven's body would do when he's playing a sonata or um, Debussy's body when he's playing through, you know, his preludes. So in that way, it's been a different kind of a stretch for me as a pianist to really make sure that I'm fitting with something that they really do conceive of as working at the instrument. 
So I get sort of both sides of that. And even then, occasionally we'll have a conversation about, you know, can I? And they, absolutely. Oh, if you can make that work, make it work. I will also say that my composers tend to be very generous about that sort of thing. We learn from each other and there's an amazing rapport and respect and um, back and forth about all of it. One of the beautiful things about last spring when we were all locked down was I wanted to take coachings with them on their pieces. And so we set up our Zooms and, you know, we had long distance coachings where we could really ask each other very, very specific, detail oriented things. So that's one part of this album. This is not exactly intro to tango. This is what one might call difficult music, right? Yes. I don't mean to say that with any sort of offense. No, of course. Just that this is not Astor Piazzolla. No. This is music that you, you have to get into it. How is that a challenge? Of course, this is always going to be a challenge with, with contemporary music in general. But what do you have to focus on to try to bring the music to your listener? I think most music is accessible if you actually make it accessible as the performer. <laughs> I really do. I don't believe in this, oh, this is too hard, this is too, it's too conceptual. If it's a good piece of music, there is a way inside of it, even if you are a novice listener, if you are taken there by your by your guide, <laughs> by your spirit guide or physical guide, however you want to perceive it as the performer. I mean, I completely believe that I am the medium. And that's you. You're That's my job. You're the medium between the composer and the listener. Exactly. Exactly. Even if the piece has lots of sophistication behind it, which I would hope it would. I mean, I like a composer that has craft and knows how to use it and that has ideas and knows how to develop them, both musically and for whatever instrument that entails. So my approach is to, is I mean, yes, there's the whole level of, of physically working a piece in, and that's, that's a given. If this were a different audience, I could wax poetic about the gnarliness or the details of how one can do that as, in my case, as, as, a, as a pianist relating to the instrument. But I want to jump to, it's my job to understand what the composer is trying to do and trying to say, because every piece of music is a communication. That's all there is to it. Music is communication, and it can communicate anything and everything. It's clear at times I have really had to stretch my sense of what is being communicated, what is possible to communicate through my medium. And once I am clear with that, then I need to make that happen at the keyboard. Yes, it helps to have a story, just because people like stories, and every piece has a story. So for instance, um, you know, Toby Twining is not someone that I knew before this project. I happened to find a, uh, a little toy piano, and here it is, my little toy piano, in the dumpster one day. And I brought it home just as I was looking for a few um, unusual pieces to add into the mix. And I found 
tango for toy piano and piano. And so I started learning it. I needed to rearrange it for this size instrument because it was originally for, you know, an instrument twice this size. So, and I do actually arrange things on occasion, which I is, is really fun. And then when Toby and I were having our coaching, our back and forth, something that I never would have known based on what is in the score and any notes that he wrote is that he conceived of this piece as kind of a parody of a romantic concerto. And suddenly my whole concept changed. Yes. It's an outsider's tango piece, I would say. Yes, exactly. And I had a take on it and and I played it for him and he said, oh, you know, that's that's sort of a nice kind of chamber music thing you're doing, but you're missing the point of. And of course, I wouldn't have known that point if I were talking with him because it's not like it's a note in the score. (laughs) So, So kind of having that happen and then I could say a few things back and forth with with each of the composers and they would say oh I never thought of it that way but oh that's great go with it If we could talk a bit about Reverie d'Automne, which is Wanda Landowska's piece, I found this to be such a lovely morsel. And uh, I would love to hear, of course, what, what I know about Landowska is, is her wonderful quote of, you play Bach your way and I'll play it the right way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was really taken with this piece. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about it. I would love to. So Wanda Landowska fits from the other area that this album focuses on, which is recovered voices composers, composers who were persecuted, murdered by the Nazi regime. Over the years, I have, I've come out with other albums that celebrate recovered voices composers. But in this case, I've become friendly through this world of uh, you know, it's a, it's a small world of people who are unearthing pieces by these composers that really deserve to be out there. I was on a trip to Washington, D.C., where at this point, every time I go, I try to meet up with Brett Werb, who is the musicologist at the U.S. Holocaust Museum, and also just does amazing, amazing work 
on his own. I went and I met with him and he was, you know, we were talking about things I was interested in, yo and, um, and tangos and, and kind of out of the blue, he said, you know, Wanda Landowska wrote this piece called Reverie of Autumn and it's in the Library of Congress. You should, you know, I don't think anybody's paid attention to it, so you should go find it. And so I had the thrilling experience right from leaving the, the Holocaust Museum. I went over to the Library of Congress and who knew that you can you can figure out how to get in right away. Of course, I had a teacher's pass that let me in as long as I applied for my own special ID. You know, I paid for a card so that I could Xerox this thing. And it's amazing it even exists because when Wanda had to exile herself, she was actually already on tour and didn't think that she wouldn't be let back into her country or she would be, but, and then she would be taken off to a, um, to a concentration camp. So she had exactly two suitcases of her stuff and she was able to just stay here and she must have had this score or, or this score existed somehow and someone unearthed it, but it did get published and I tracked it down in the library of Congress and ended up in the, the score was like this big. I ended up doing massive amounts of Xeroxing for a five page piece and then trimming it down and then found out that she wrote it when she was just a student and studying with, I think, Ignaz Hoffman and kind of wrote it for him. And, you know, she wasn't yet really a harpsichordist. She was a romantic pianist. And she took this ideal, her being Polish, of the mazurka, which is a pre-tango form, and just wrote this lovely, lovely tone poem which of course I fell in love with immediately and needed needed to perform it and figure out I'm recording this somehow because this is such a little gem. Definitely one of the highlights for me.
other that I would also like to hear about and your experience is Laminar Flow in Upside Down Creek, which is arranged for piano and is by Eric Moe. It has this sort of snake eating its tail feel as the music unfolds. I found that very compelling. Yes, agreed. So Eric is a dear friend of mine. We became friends through someone else. There was a point where I was going to be on sabbatical, and he was also on sabbatical. He teaches at UPIT in Pittsburgh. So he stayed in my apartment while I was traveling, at which point he rediscovered his love of playing. He's, he's quite a fearsome pianist himself, and he often writes in the more rock and roll inspired vein <laughs> of writing. Um, He can be really aggressive in his writing and very quirky. While he was here playing on my Steinway, he kind of was able to get back into practicing like he hadn't done for ages and ages. And he went through my musical scores, pulled out list etudes and list pieces. He then wrote me a piece as thanks, a piece of music as thanks recognizing my particular pianism and my piano. And he, and it was very much, there are moments that are like Rachmaninoff, there are moments that are like Liszt, moments that are like Debussy. And so I, as I was pulling this program together, he sent me his score for Laminar Flow. And he always comes up with the greatest titles. The first piece he wrote me was Legend of the Sad Triad. <laughs> <laughs> based, based on a on a on a movie um, <laughs> based on a movie quote, <laughs> and and this one laminar flow has to do with in that snaking in its tail uh, the way that a fluid or you can think of a river where it narrows and then you have these waves that would be coming along and suddenly they're overlapping where sometimes there's not really turbulence, but there's just this sense of them having to interact in a very contrapuntal kind of way. And so that's what happens in this piece. It's very gentle. There's a moment where I absolutely hear hear Debussy, where he has these parallel thirds and everything's just comes together in that uh, incredibly sonorous and consonant way but otherwise, the flowing has to do with these gentle movements from 5-8, and and it's not about the syncopation of that. It's just about always being a little bit not settled into one meter and also the, con- the counterpoint that he writes in there. And in a lot of ways, you know, he knew that this type of piece would just fit with me. And he gave me a couple of ideas also when we were coaching that were just, Jeannie, you've got it. Just this, this, this. And of course, that made the difference. It's just like adding a little salt to the uh, recipe. Exactly. Exactly. And suddenly it pops, right? Yes. Yes. Thank you. 
Jeannie, coming out of this project, how has this altered your sense of tango or your sense of internal rhythm? I imagine that with all of these pieces together, you're now grooving in a slightly different way, perhaps permanently. (laughs) Quite possibly. I think it's been more that the people that I tango with, and I haven't had a chance to tango in person for a year now. All tango has been over Zoom, <laughs> but in my in my own little corner, in my own little chair, I have always imagined certain tango steps. And in a certain way, it's more opened up for people who think of tango as something that happens during a miyonga and you're dancing to it. It's kind of opened up their sense of rhythm more than mine which has been really cool. (laughs) You've been listening to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. We heard clips from An American in Buenos Aires by Toby Twining, arranged by Jeannie Golan for Toy Piano and Piano. From Reverie d'Otam, Opus 6 by Wanda Landowska, and from Laminar Flow in Upside Down Creek by Eric Moe, all from the album It Takes One to Tango by Jeannie Golan on the Steinway & Sons label. Our intro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan, editor-in-chief at listenmusicculture.com. Our outro music is from an American in Buenos Aires. Question for the podcast? Message me on Facebook at Soundboard, or hit me on the gram at Soundboard Podcast. Subscribe to Soundboard on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, or wherever you pod your casts. Thank you for listening.